Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. Here is your host, Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM. Streaming live from Taos, New Mexico. Here is Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Arrow. The next generation error reduction and mitigation system. For more information, go to aerohp.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. Hopefully you're off to a fantastic week so far. As for me, I'm just trucking right along. I have had the great opportunity to go to some different areas and interact with some thought leaders inside of the safety space. We're going to get to that further down the line, but that's not what the subject is going to be about today. Today, I have the privilege and the honor of speaking with Sheldon Primus. If you recall, a few months ago, we had an interview with Sheldon Primus, and he was on the verge of starting off on the radio station of Safety FM, and he had already started his Safety Consultant podcast. Well, today, we're going to take a standpoint and take a listen to what Sheldon's been up to over the last few months and him be able to tell us how the show has went so far and what target audience he's been able to interact with. Also, if you're a safety consultant, pay close attention to what Sheldon has to say, for he has a lot of experience in this, and he also has a lot of experience with OSHA. The great part about this is that if you are not a safety consultant, you know exactly what to look for when you are acquiring a safety consultant going forward. Let me not waste any more of your time, and let's get you started with this episode of the flagship Safety FM show here on Safety FM. It begins in Orlando, Florida and travels steadily to the West, beaming across North America and planet Earth and into your head. The world of safety never stops. And now the Safety FM podcast and broadcast with Dr. Jay Allen. I'm almost tempted about saying what has happened over the last hour or so. No, go ahead. I'm okay with any of that. <laughs> oh, anyway, so Sheldon, I appreciate you coming on to the show first off. So how are things going ever since you have started your podcast? I think that we last checked in having you on the air on the Safety FM show. I think it was episode 10 for you. And right now you just finished releasing episode 38. So how are you liking it so far? I'm loving it. Actually, it's been so crazy doing podcasting because truly I've consumed podcasts, like just constantly consuming podcasts and now doing my own. I could say, hey, I'm a podcaster. And does that mean anything? Probably not, but it is kind of cool in some in some circles. So I'm, I'm getting the hang of it and I'm trying to make it my own. You know, that's the key, right? Well, what I always tell people is that it is it's a big deal. And not a big deal all at the same time, which sounds kind of strange because what happens is people get to start knowing you based on voice. But if you don't do a lot of things related to pictures, it's very difficult for people to know who you are. At least that's what I think I run into. And then it's funny because when you start moving up in the ranks inside of the podcasting world or doing more and more, you think, oh, I'm really good at what I'm doing. And then we run into a scenario like we ran into over the last hour or so where you and I were sitting here going, we can't get this system to work. What's going on? Yeah, and I, I think it's funny because I look at it and I go, I'm sure it's probably something on my end, but I always try to make the other people think that it was something they did. <laughs> yep. 
And so right now, end, so I, here I am I trying to we, figure all this well, out. We don't know if it was or not. We'll just, say, we'll just say that it was on a end. We can't figure out which one. So as you're looking at this and you're doing the, the podcast over the last, we'll say six months because it's been a while since we checked in, but I know it's been longer since we since we last spoke. But as you're looking at this, do you feel or are you seeing the return on what you wanted on what your initial plan was with the podcast where you're trying to reach out to people to turn them to becoming safety consultants? Has that worked out well? Yes, it has. Actually, um, truly, I'm feeling lately, especially in in the, uh, I guess, LinkedIn world, if that's, you know, a thing and in the Facebook world, in the social media, I'm getting so much good responses from people who are thinking about getting into safety consulting and they're finding the show, which is, you know, first thing you got to figure out is, you know, how do we get people to find a show? But once they did, they're actually uh, giving me some really good feedback and it's making me feel good in that way. So the return on the investment is personally, I feel good. Financially, we're like, eh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with, with helping people right now. So as you're doing this, and I know that you do some coursework behind the scenes and you're assisting people on becoming safety consultants, when they first reach out to you, meaning the, the audience, and they get to listen, what are they asking you? What is the, what is the, I guess, what is the capture? What is it they're looking for? I know that the safety realm kind of covers so many different things that it makes it extremely difficult to, to say, okay, it's just one thing. But I would imagine when you get that initial contact either it'd be an email linkedin message someone what is what most of your audience members are looking for right away uh first thing is generally i should say i shouldn't say first generally they're looking for you know how can they get started now right now what do they need to do where do i go to start and clients they want to know how to get clients first without really knowing their own personal strengths so generally it's like uh, well how do you get clients and uh how do you do proposals that's always a big one and I'm like all right i'll teach you that one but first you got to figure out who you're going to approach and then who is going to be your target person so that's the, the the part that that i help you know slow them down a little you know hey slow down let's find out who we're gonna target first and then we'll go through the rest so are you telling me that if i call you today i can't become a safety consultant tomorrow <laughs> Within the hour, no. <laughs> no, and, and I know that you still go out there and you still do a lot of teachings and so on. So what are you seeing change-wise inside of the industry? What are some of the differences that are coming about? Generally, right now, the industry is kind of, uh, a lot of people are getting frustrated with where they're working. And it's usually the first thing that they're trying to do is just trying to free themselves from their job. Besides, you know, helping people with the safety consulting so after I get through that part of, yes, you could be your own boss and you could do this, you could, you know, the, the coaching side. And then the other is just the, the technique of doing it. So generally what, what we end up always talking about is, you know, how you conduct yourself, how you do the first handshake and expectations in the first handshake until you get business, which is generally, you know, nine months roughly. So it's kind of like weathering expectations right now is, is generally what I'm, I'm seeing in the industry for people who want to start the safety consulting side. But safety as a whole, yeah, we've been going through a bit, especially when you're thinking regulatory side. So can you go a little bit deeper with the regulatory side? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, on the regulatory side, I'm an OSHA guy. I know you've got listeners from everywhere, right? So 
on the American OSHA side, we are uh, one of the things right now that's happening is OSHA is being poached by the, and this is the, the actual workers from the the private sector is loving to grab people from OSHA and OSHA. They're the higher ups. They're ready to go out on their own and they're becoming consultants. So now the, uh, the industry, the information that they have is leaving. So therefore you've got new people coming in and I see a, a little bit of contention sometimes between the businesses. So uh, they're trying to figure out how it's going to be regulatory slash safety consulting. And there's always that balance they're trying to reach. So on the regulation side, yeah, OSHA is still regulating. They're still citing, they're still fining, but it's up to the employer to really, really get a good hand on safety and health for themselves. And that's the industry. Some people are really good at that. Some people, hmm, they're not that good yet. I kind of smile as you say that because it sounds like it's a small cluster and I'll try to keep everything PG that I say here today. But I, I yeah, look yeah. at it and I go, when you start taking people that are regulators and bring them into the private sector, the private sector, I guess, to some extent, they're doing well because they're being able to move those people. But at the same time, when somebody then comes in, let's use the example that you're talking about of OSHA, and they know that this person was someone who was a regulator before, do you see things that come about where they're giving them, I don't want to say harsher guidelines because guidelines are guidelines, but maybe they'll take a deeper dive because they're having a higher expectation from the person? Yes. It's all expectations, really. It's really what it boils down to. It's all expectations. So you you see a regulator, you're expecting certain conduct, you're expecting certain things to happen, and if it doesn't meet your expectations, you could either have somebody that is super forceful, or you may have someone that just doesn't understand as a regulator all the nuances. So you're used to seeing a regulator that's been there forever and ever and ever, and they understand the process, you understand them, and then all of a sudden you got a new guy, and they're trying to assert themselves in some ways and then you're trying to figure out what's my rights and that's when the consulting side takes over so if you have the clients then you know you could tell them their rights too so i know that my audience and your followers and your audience are going to want to have some questions here and i want to go back to what your subject matter expert are and especially in regards of what your show is based so i appreciate the answer in regards to the regulation stuff but i want to know this in particular if you don't mind if you're going to start off and you're going to be a safety consultant, I know we talked on it briefly the last time that we had our conversation. What can you describe as your want? Because I think that sometimes people go into becoming a safety consultant and they have these weird expectations that I'm going to become a safety consultant. I'm going to tell some people within the first couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing multi-million dollars worth of work out there. Can you give most listeners what real expectation is of year one? how you could say that your year one went for people to, I guess they can put a blueprint in place to have a true expectation. If they say, okay, I'm ditching the job that I'm going to nine to five today. And all of a sudden I'm going to become a safety consultant tomorrow. Can you give them what the real first year looks like? Yeah, absolutely. First year you're, you're going to have to actually get yourself where your mindset needs to be. So therefore, you're used to working, clocking in, or whatever you do. You know, most people have salaries at this point, right? So you're used to that job. You're used to all those expectations and things coming to you that has been on your desk. So now you have that direction. But 
year one when you're on your own, you're going to have to create that stuff on your desk. Networking is great, but it's not going to pay the bills if you don't do it right. So it's going to be a lot of shaking hands and kissing babies as they do in the political world, right? And <laughs> at first, you're going to think it's not working, but you really, really, really need to keep going with that and be strategic with your networking. So that's the first thing. But as far as uh, salary, I would say you're going to lose probably the first two to three years before you could start seeing some increase. So that means you're going to have to have something as a backup in order for you to, to bridge that gap. So year one is tough. It is really tough. And uh, truly, you're going to have to be strategic and don't pay for everything that people tell you you need to have. Research it first and then be truly, truly selective on where you spend each dime. So when you start hearing about year one and people going through their experience, I know the last conversation you and I had, you discussed on start your business immediately if you can. That way it starts showing that you've been around for a while, even though you're still doing what we'll call here your nine to five. Yep. Now, for the people that want to be the adventurers and jump out and, you know, not listen to some of the stuff that you've been you've been teaching because you've been doing this for quite a while. What do you what would you tell them if they jump out? Okay, so you jump out, all of a sudden do you say, Okay, you need to have this amount of years worth of salary saved up? Because I know you just said two to three years, you're gonna be, you know, kind of things are gonna go. What would you if you had to give perfect recommendation on to someone that's starting off and they've already jumped the coop and all of a sudden now you're kind of trying to do the we'll say the reverse engineering and you're working with them, what would you tell them? What would you tell them exactly? So you would say, you need to have this, 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 this in place and now run? Uh, very first thing is you need to partner. You can't do it yourself. So think of it this way. If you are going to try to reach every single person that is going to buy or going to use your service in your area, you're going to really have to spend a lot of time networking, a lot of time going out and reaching out to people. However, do it smarter. So join a, an association or get someone who is already reaching the people you're reaching and then partner with them. So to, instead of you trying to build your own list and market to the one tree, you have someone who already has a list. They already have respect. They already have authority. You partner with them, some free classes, some free services. And the thing that is going to help you is when you do get the paid classes and the paid services, they're pushing you and therefore you're leveraging everything that they have already built up with their membership base. And now you could just plug right in. So therefore you're going to be plugging into a forest until, instead of an individual tree. So that's the quickest way to actually get yourself some revenue and clients. Now, when you're talking about associations, are you talking about places like the American Society of Safety Professionals and the National Safety Council, or are you talking about something different? Local. Always start local because truly, okay. before you start traveling and everything else, you, you got to leverage the people in your network. So your church friends, uh, the people who are around you, you know, if you coach basketball or football or soccer or any of that. All of that is potential clients. So have a whole bunch of cards. I'm not saying, you know, hi, my name's Sheldon. Here's a card. Here is a card. <laughs> I 
not doing that. Mm-hmm. But you keep your ears open and you want to be top of mind of everyone's conversation when they when someone where you're not there talks about safety and health, then someone should remember, hey, I know somebody that does this. And that's the best way to do it. So what do you think about these organizations that reach out to people, especially when they find out there is a new organization that has started that they use the term pay to play? So they'll put you in front of people that you can speak to that might need your potential service, but you have to pay them to be able to talk in front of this group. Do you think this is a wise investment for somebody who's up and coming or how does that work? Yeah, that never works well. And the reason why is you're trying to get money. And therefore, if you're constantly paying to get things out, then you're doing it in reverse. So that's the tail wagging the dog in a way. So generally what you're going to do is instead of paying, you are going, you're actually paying by giving free services, right? So if you have to physically pay to get in front of somebody, then that's their business. You're actually helping them as opposed to helping yourself. And if you do, the only, the only difference, let me cut, well, go back a little is memberships. Yes, you should probably belong to a member, be a member of the group that you want to help out. But other than that, uh, you, you shouldn't do that. That's not good to practice. So on those particular ones, so the members that you want to be a group at, sure. But then when it comes to those pay for plays, even though you might, I mean, I have seen so many different things on social media. This is the only reason why it comes up where you might be able to get to speak to the chairman of X Fortune 500 company and X um, Fortune 100 company where a lot of, I find them almost like traps on where people fall into and some people it works for, some people it doesn't. And I think that sometimes because of how people want to flip over a dollar so quick, they run into these scenarios where they think that this will be the quick pro quo, but it doesn't work out that way. So then you kind of have the other extent of it where people have the availability of doing, we'll say, public speaking, especially for consulting, where they can actually go out and do public speaking of their of what they're actually doing. So whatever service they're selling, where you might be able to go speak in front of a group of people, you're not getting anything in return, but you're doing it for free. Do you think that that's a good investment of their time and resources? Or how do you feel about that? Yeah, that is a better investment of your time. So the reason why is because people will come up to you and then they're going to ask you about you know, what, what you just spoke about and your expertise, make sure you're speaking about something you really know, you'll, you'll touch something that they've said. And if it's free, then now you've actually uh, given them your time and some service that is equatable to money. Everything we do as a consultant is time and knowledge. So the time it took for you to go to school, to do whatever you need to do has to be compensated for. So therefore, when you're even doing something free, it's costing you to do that. So the return should be, I'm going to do this free, but I want to have a little table in the background or, or something I could put my, my flyer on. Or if I'm going to do a class, I'm going to promote my class at the end of this presentation. And that should be the trade-off. Not to say your whole presentation is about your services. It is basically, this is my introduction that I'm doing for free and for something you know, further or deeper, here's my paid service. So uh, that's that should be the way it works. Anywhere else is going to be uh, too cost prohibitive. You know, you won't be sustainable that way. 
So how did it work for you in year one, if you don't mind me asking, if, especially, I, and I know that you give a lot of detail on the on how you've done your stuff, but how did it work for you? How did you already have clients established when you decided to leave what you were doing? My uh, whole uh, safety consultant blueprint that, I, that I, uh, I've developed is what not to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> for me, year one was like a, it was like freedom. I was institutionalized in my mind because I've always worked for a state or government entity. So it was like freedom. Yes. I could get away from the government work and be my own boss and I could get out of, you know, the state stuff. Cause even in government work, you always have to, you know, play the politics. Right. So that was my, my mind. So, but year one was really learning that I can't just watch Netflix in the morning. I actually had to get out and do stuff. And then later on, I had to be strategic as to what's going to make me money. I'll do that first. And then after that, I'm going to, the next thing I'm going to do is what's going to make me future money. I'll do that next. And then what do I have to follow up on? Because I need to keep touching base with everyone else. So it's, it's that cycle. And then the other thing that really helped me in year one was every client that I got, I wanted to 4X that relationship, meaning that if they had me for training one time, I'm going to do training for them again, somehow, some way, and I'm going to ask for a referral. So now someone that they know and trust them can get a referral about me. So then that also is going to be a third time I'm going to get business from this person and then somehow try to get a fourth. So that was my mind is it costs a lot less to keep the clients you have than to always go out and try to get clients. You still have to get more clients because, you know, you never want to give more than roughly 20 max, 20% of how much one client has influence over you. So for instance, if you have a real big client and they're 50% of your dollars and now all of a sudden they're gone, you've just lost 50% of your revenue. So you always need more clients coming in, but make the ones that you have happy. And that's what I learned in year one. So as you're saying that, let me ask you a strange question here. I heard a pretty big, well-known safety consultant, matter of fact, that's a lie, a well-known consultant, non-safety consultant. And he said that he had a struggle, that he had struggled to actually acquire, I guess, other, I guess a client is really how he worded it. And what he did was he gave a potential client, we'll say free consulting. And as in return, he required for them to give them three leads. Do you think that that's a good turnaround for that? Or do you think that that's something that's risky because of what you're bringing to the table? No, not really. And the reason why I don't, I, I, and when I say not really, I, uh, to answer the question on, on both sides, uh, the risky side would be if you don't believe that this person has enough influence with someone who's going to not only take your name and take your number, but will follow through. So that's the risky side. But if you really feel like this ask is appropriate, then that's fine, meaning that this person has enough clout, not going to steer someone to you, but will open the door so you can actually have a good conversation. And then from there, you get yourself out and you get yourself uh, into that client's mind and get them to hire you. Then we're good there. 
So it really boils down to what kind of faith you have in that individual that they're going to follow through with that bartering system, because that's really what it is. It's a bartering system. Now, do you feel that there's a risk on the consultant that's actually doing this business-wise? And the only reason I ask this is because, as you know, error emissions, things can potentially occur, but all of a sudden they're putting the risk, even though they're not getting anything, let's say, dollar in return, all they're getting is a potential referral of a client that might come through. Yep. So that's when you really have to get that that trust. And everything we do is risk because we're getting paid for our knowledge. We're getting paid for our advice. So therefore, that's why every consultant has to be insured. So if you're going to run that risk of not getting paid, then and let's say someone does find an error or omission of what you just you know told them, will that person then flip around and try to get some compensation out of you? So if that's the case, then you had a lose-lose scenario. You're not going to get a referral and you're going to have to pay for some sort of a premium increase or anything when you do make your claim. So that's a lose-lose. That's why you really got to trust someone if you're making that kind of, uh, that kind of deal. And truly, it wouldn't for me, I wouldn't do that on a deal business to business unless that business was an association or has a really large backing. And that that would be the only way I would I would feel comfortable doing something like that. But generally free free comes with some sort of marketing value. And that's the only way that'll work okay. for you. So let me ask you a strange question there. For people that are in year one and they're starting off with their error and emission insurance. Would there be an amount that you would normally recommend to someone that's going through the blueprint course and saying, okay, this is what you should minimally do to this is probably max for your one or it's really going to no be related to what they're doing? No less than a million. They, that's that's what you should be looking for. And what company you use is up to you. I've used um, Lloyd's of London. I use uh, Hiscox before and I believe that's my still company i'm using right now tell you the truth i can't remember but you know you you got at least a million is what you're looking for and if you uh happen to i would suggest this even if you don't use a public client go on your city or county's website go down there and look for any service that you think you could provide for them then look for their requirements as far as what they require for insurance what they require to even qualify for a bid meet those requirements and that will tell you what kind of insurance you need and then another question that has come up quite a bit or at least i've seen online and this one i don't really know the solution to but you being the subject matter expert here i know that you'll have an answer to this one i see a lot of Mm -hmm. people come up with lists that are available that are inside of your target demo that you could purchase their email list what is your general feelings on those uh, that's fine to buy them, but I wouldn't <laughs> just for me. But why wouldn't you buy them? So why would why would be fine to buy, but not for you? So why why yes and no at the same time? All right, so way to pin me down, brother. <laughs> you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, this is the thought. The thought is this: so let's say you do buy someone's list, 
How did they get that list? Where did it come from? Or have they been qualified? And just because they're on a list, is that person ready to purchase? Is that person ready to get the sale that you were looking for, your services? So that is a list of just numbers. If you go in a room and you're in a room with a thousand people and you're able to say, hey, here's my business card to a thousand people, but only 10 of them are ready to purchase your service, you waste your time. I'd rather go into a room and get a room of maybe 50 people that are ready to buy right now or to use my service right now. And now that is more valuable to me. So instead of purchasing that list, I'd rather develop certain content, get people to my website. And then from there, I control the narrative. I control the conversation. So when I'm building a list, it's slower, but it's a list of people that are interested in me. They know me. They've been familiarized with my services. So now the list that I'm going to be building, though it's slower, is going to actually mean something. And then when I'm ready to actually sell to this list, they know me. They like me. They trust me a little bit more. So then the return rate goes up higher. So now that's what you're looking for. You want that return rate to go up. So right now, if I am going to start off my own business and I need to know the five secret secret keys from the Sheldon Primer's blueprint, what would you tell me they are? Well, I actually have a book that says seven keys. So ah, you can look, up seven look marketing at its finest here. <laughs> <laughs> Marketing at the finest, yeah. So from my uh, my book, which is available on Amazon, and then also the safetyconsultantblueprint.com. But uh, the key, I would say, if you're going to list them out. Well, let's say you you, let's not give where, away your trade secrets. And what if you, what if we looked at it this way, then? What would you tell people to be the five things that they need to focus on if they're going to start off their own safety consulting business now? I'm going to go ahead and I'm thinking about doing it. I want to jump in. What are the first five things that I should look at? Get your website. Number one, yeah, pick out your name, get your website. And that is so like little that you might not even think about it. But if you choose a name and it's not there, then, then you're going to end up with one of those really off websites. And people, they actually will think of you less if it's not a .com. So that's a psychology thing. So you want a .com. That's one of the first things. Make sure you get legal so you can actually... You know, go out there and say, I am legal with the IRS. I'm legal with my state. I'm legal with my county. So that's number two. Number three, I would definitely make sure that I am going to build my list from day one. And that is going to be through either a website or you're going to take the cards from your networking meeting when you're shaking those hands. And then you're going to start adding that to an email list. And I use ConvertKit. I've done a video on ConvertKit. If you go to SheldonPrimus.com, you'll see ConvertKit everywhere. I love that stuff. So that is very, truly basic. Are we up to four now, right? Well, it depends if you want to count the website and the name as one. You said that it was one. I almost counted it as two, but however you want to do it. Okay. Hey, well, if I can think of more, yeah, we'll throw that into you, right? <laughs> Well, Sheldon, but, yeah. if people want to know more information about you, what do they need to do? Uh, best place would be either the Safety FM. You can see me on there as well as uh, SheldonPrimus.com. And then also the LinkedIn. You could just look up uh, Sheldon Primus on the LinkedIn and you could get me there as well. But then I do have a Facebook group and the group is 
uh, facebook.com backslash groups with a S backslash safety consultant without the S. And, uh, and that's pretty much where uh, I am online. That's my online homes. Well, I have to tell you, you have the best safety celebrity name that I've ever heard of in my whole life. I am not joking. And I'm not just saying that because you're actually on the line with me. No, uh, thank you. <laughs> well, Everybody, I do appreciate <laughs> Pardon? Everybody loves the Primus. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, Sheldon, I do appreciate you coming on to Safety FM. No, thank you so much for having me. Enjoy the best safety shows on the planet on safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com